Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. That's greenlight.com ACAST. Welcome to Reality Reno with Mitch and Mark. Another week here, Mitch. It's been Easter weekend. And we got to catch up with the grandkids. Um, we all got together for Good Friday, which is our tradition every year. The only day of the year I'm allowed to eat hot cross buns because that was the rule that my Catholic mother put in place. Well, it's the only day of the year I'm allowed to eat hot cross buns and I'm not Catholic. So well, mum's gone. Mum's gone, so that's one thing that I knew. But I wondered... A lot of people catch up with their families over Easter weekend. Yeah. So I guess everyone has had that chance, good, bad or indifferent. Yeah. Well, yeah, and ours was good to catch up with the grandkids. Our grandkids are crazy-ass fun. Well, it's nice to leave them on a sugar high with their parents now. <laughs> yes, but the highlight for us this weekend, Mark. Our highlight was that it was sunny and we were open. No, oh, it was launching our fashion range. Yes, I designed so a range of shirts and they're a very modern term, they're called gender fluid. So that means they're suitable for men and women, for those who are well, you know, that term. This is an interesting topic, particularly for our builder's wife, Terry, who loves listening to our podcast. She loves the fact that I say everything's interesting. So just for you, Terry, this is interesting. The whole gender fluidity influence in fashion. Yes. Because it's a huge movement at the moment, but there's a difference between men wearing women's clothes and wearing dresses, and there are men who do that and do that as a fashion statement, not in terms of transgender identity, but as a fashion statement. And then there are clothes that are gender fluid. Yes. What's the difference? The difference is gender fluid is an item of clothing that's designed, in my case, it's shirts. They're mm. shirts that are more flamboyant than the average men's wear shirt and meeting meeting a level that fit a man, but they can also fit a woman and they can look good on both. As opposed to there is a trend for men to wear women's clothing, which is an absolute choice. But and there are men who wear it. Sorry? Very well. We've seen, like, we're friends with Christian Wilkins. He has an amazing fashion sense and he can wear things that are designed for women, but they make a statement. Yeah, and also Christian happens to be 10 foot tall and a very ripped, slender build. Mm. Attractive, is that the word? Gregarious? What is it no, gregarious is more your personality outgoing. Oh, <laughs> you're gregarious. Um, He's very equine. Equine, which I don't get that because that's, I think it's very handsome, but you're saying. No, but in, in a striking. Airplane means looks like a horse. Well, yeah, but it means you've got a very striking, you know, noble look. Right. Okay, Christian, you're very noble and striking. Actually, you should get Christian onto our podcast. We should get Christian. Really Actually, he would be good to find out his take yes. on what that means. What does gender fluid fashion mean? But, I, but I'm actually fond of um, there's quite a few designers out there who design clothing for either men or for women, but the clothing crosses the boundary where mm. it can be a skirt that's designed for men mm -hmm. um, but traditionally women wear skirts mm. and vice versa a lot of very masculine stylings women i know dior yes did a tuxedo for women which was way back in the you know that was Yves Saint Laurent. Yves Saint Laurent. we saw that it's actually um 
that original tuxedo, anyone who's listening who's a fashionista, is in the Victorian, the National Gallery of Victoria, the original women's tuxedo designed based on a man's tuxedo for women. I think it was like 1966. Yeah, and, and that has become, of course, a huge trend. But remember, uh, I do they only ever sold one. They only ever sold one, that's right. It's amazing. Ahead of its time, that tuxedo was designed by Yves Saint Laurent, 1966, and they only sold one. Yes, but since the then, there have, I'm sure there have been millions of tuxedos for women because they can be anything from a masculine look to an extremely sexy look. Yes. And likewise, I wear sometimes tuxedos that probably would be considered more commonly worn by women where I wear a tux with a outer shirt. So there are some people kind of iconically gender-fluid fashion. Harry Styles is very known for that at the moment. He wears a lot of that fluid kind of how would you describe it? Like, I don't know, but all I know is that Harry Styles is a very gender-fluent fashion. I find it kind of odd or even a bit weird that Harry Styles is in his late 20s, I suppose, now. Yeah, probably. And I'm in my, let's say, very late, late 50s, 50s on the cusp of 60, but Harry Styles is my fashion icon, and when I'm designing my couture shirt range, yes. I often do actually think of Harry Styles and think, would Harry wear this? And generally I come back with a yes. Maybe that's that's another label name. Would Harry wear this? Actually, that could be that could be the market. at Coachella on the weekend. Harry Styles performed with surprise act Shania Twain. They Shania Twain, Shania, Shania Twain. You add in letters. I did Shania, <laughs> well Shania Twain, yeah, yeah. and I think she's she was amazing in her day. It's great to see her back. Yeah, um, but they she came on and they did feels like a woman. Yes, and Harry had this. Um, sequent uh, red jumpsuit on, which inspired me because I wore a sequent top to a party in recent weeks was Jules With Robinson Jill. from Jules and Camp. It was her 40th. 40th birthday. And there was a video of me dancing when I think I'd had too much to drink and I had um, extreme dancing confidence. You had extreme confidence. You had fashion confidence. So I posted a story about myself dancing in my sequent top alongside the music of Feels Like a Woman because it was like, Harry... You might be a legend and you might be a superstar, but I wore the sequence a few weeks before you. However, gender fluidity in fashion is a thing. Yes. And you've launched your your shirts that are about that, that embrace that. Yes, and look, you're probably listening, Harry Styles, um, and (laughs) and as you are listening, if you would like to wear one of my shirts, buddy, I might even just give you one. Well, Mitchy, maybe, maybe we should do a regular little touch base on, you know, red. everyone loves a red carpet look and everyone loves commentary about red carpet. People like to set themselves up, given the fashion police, you know, that, that Joan Rivers did so well. Maybe yes, it oh. should be Mitch's, would Harry wear that segment? Would Harry wear that? Would um, Harry wear that look? Actually, well, even better than, um, oh, Harry, of course, you can have the shirt, Harry, but also if you want to come on and talk to us about genuine fluidity in fashion, we would we'd, we'd welcome Harry, wouldn't we? We would, but I think it'd be really um, great to reach out to Christian. Yes, Christian. Because I think being able to understand that, you know, because that is it's such a new movement right now in fashion. And I would equally love to have embrace. you on, Christian, just for the record, okay? Yeah, it would be, it, that would be quite incredible to do that. But on a more serious note, we are mid-election. We're right in the middle, or we've just started, really. It's, what, first week? So we have seen both parties and independents and a whole lot of posturing about uh, 
what what the government's individual the, the potential can I just, government um, will can do. Can I just break from that, Mark? I just want to um, advise the viewers that that this is now this is now the fun part of the podcast over, and now we're into the serious oh. stuff. Into the serious stuff. We had fun, gendered fluidity, fashion, Harry Styles, Christian Wilkinson, and now we're talking about fucking elections. That's all we're going to hear about, isn't it? And it's Christian Wilkins. Christian, oh, sorry, Christian, Christian Wilkins. <laughs> He's a sorry to his dad, Richard. But we are now in election, and I think um, people who either rent or own their own homes are going to be very interested to see what the eventual government will do because there is now a lot of talk and a lot of speculation that interest rates will be going up. The RBA is talking about the cash rate going up, which will flow through the banks to the lenders, and that will increase interest rates on mortgage mortgages. So there is some speculation that um, will housing prices go down? Will we see a correction? But then there's also some evidence that um, there are strong markets in Brisbane and Adelaide and in regional markets are strong. Also, there's talk around rents and that it is extremely difficult now that rent demand is so high that people are paying high rents. It's very difficult to find rental. So we're... And Mark, think about when our borders open and there's going to be more internationals coming back. Mm-hmm. They don't come back and buy in the first week. They need to rent. So rental pressure, I think, is going to get tougher and tougher and tougher. Interesting you raise that because Airbnbs will then be back on the market. People will be trying to get maximum for their Airbnbs, which might currently be rented out to, you know, more residential. Can I just, can I just roll you back there? You're talking about regional markets staying strong and yes. non-regional markets are going dropping. Mm-hmm. Um what do you define as regional? Because during the um, the COVID property boom, it seemed that everything went up. But if mm-hmm. you were in an area where you were slightly rural mm-hmm. or slightly coastal, mm-hmm. and slightly coastal wasn't what 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 as a city dweller we thought Newport was yes. was regional, but it's quick. It's still forty minutes from the city. So places like Newport, whether you're Newport or Cronulla or um, Geelong in South Australia or Fremantle in WA, Mm -hmm. places that were a little bit out of the city, Mm -hmm. they boomed. Yes. So are they going to be impacted? We don't know that. I'm not saying crystal ball. I don't know that. Um, Looking at a couple of different articles in the papers, uh, there are some people saying, yes, we're going to have a market correction and that prices could drop by 15%. Because I'm already hearing from realtors around the northern beaches of Sydney and I'm hearing in other parts, like in, in Victoria, I heard mm. that in, what's that area where your sister's got a property? Oh, down in, in Melbourne, it's in Blairgarry. Blairgarry, like those sorts of areas like where we there are. Is. Those areas have absolutely boomed. Yes. But I'm hearing that there's 10 to 15% drop in those markets. Well, I guess it depends on the market you're in. So if we're talking about markets like, where we are, Newport, or, you know, these are coastal beachside suburbs that boomed in COVID and none of us expected that. So a market correction in an area like Newport, Avalon, you know, Mona Vale, places like that, just means that you come back down from the boom prices, but they're still very strong prices. There are regional areas that I think are still very strong, apparently very strong, and, well, I think Morrison has just recently released uh, his take on the home buyers, the first home buyers market, and I think Labor's doing the same. The first home buyer scheme is aimed at enabling people to get into the property market without spending years saving a 10% deposit. 
Yes. The goal of that scheme is to say that to first home buyers, you don't need to save all that money and take years to be able to buy in. Equally, you don't need to take out mortgage insurance if you can't get a 10% deposit. If you can save, I think it's 5%, you can buy within certain parameters and the government will guarantee the other 15%. Is, is that age capped or is it just for? Uh, well, it's capped on the numbers, which is I found fascinating. I didn't realise this. It's a capped at 50,000 people. So I don't know how they work out who what? the 50,000 are. And it's capped according... First in best dress kind well, of Well, yes, it's first in best dress. You can't apply for it directly yourself. You have to go through a lender or a mortgage broker. So oh, wow. get a good mortgage broker, I would suggest. We've got a great mortgage broker. And it's also capped on the property. So Morrison has just announced that that cap has gone up. But has Albanese put up anything to counter that? Not that I've seen. I did a little bit of research and I think it's just supporting the same process that Morrison is doing. But I think Albanese has talked about other initiatives around social housing. The fascinating thing is that the cap on properties in Sydney is $900,000. I think Melbourne is around $800,000. They've just increased that cap and then you go into regional For houses areas. only or for, for houses? houses. Um, I don't know whether it's apartments. But, but Seriously, Mark, I know $900,000 is a a load, a shitload of money. Mm-hmm. There's not many places in Sydney where you can buy a house for not a lot. Not a lot in most states. Yeah, and, and the first-time buyer still needs to satisfy the lenders on the serviceability of the loan. So, Which is going to get tougher as interest rates increase. Well, as interest rates increase and lenders now will be factoring in increases, then you need to be able to demonstrate that you can pay back what you're going to borrow. So the housing market is tricky to say the least. I think we've got a. Um, we actually would be great to get Alice Stoltz from Domain back in to have a chat with her at some stage and get her update. Well, we have reached out to Alice Stoltz to do Alibi next hour. Alice um, segment. She would love to. Easter was a bit busy for her, so we will be talking to her. And this is going to be fascinating because I don't know that you know property and home ownership has been a headline of the election but at the same time you know Morrison came out and said well their goal is to get renters into property rather than address how do you address renters who are under pressure now (laughs) how do you address that you mentioned at the beginning of COVID people had so much pressure on rents that rents were dropping all over the place. Well, we've got a few investment properties. Because of the mortgages on those investment properties um, that are basically our super plan, mm-hmm. I did say to you when COVID first hit, how the hell are we going to service these mortgages? And mm. rents were going down. We got we got panicked, and that was around the same time we actually offloaded Bondi. We thought we'd just you know, removing a problem. As it mm. turned out, we should have kept it because yeah. prices went up. Yeah. But since then... The rents which were down have now gone through the roof. You talk to any renter yes. right now. One, they can't find a rental property. And yes. then secondly, they've got to pay a premium. We've got a friend who just rented a property near us here. They hesitated in buying, were squeezed out of the buying market with the hefty price tags. And then the rent they ended up paying, I think it was probably 25% more than the rent was 12 months ago. It was. We have friends in Melbourne, the same thing, who are looking at selling their property right now to see whether they can, you know, capitalise on the market. So it's tough if you sell in a, in a strong market, you still have to buy in a strong market. They're looking around for rentals and they're, they're saying in Melbourne to be in an area that they like. It's not a, it's not, you know, it's not. 40 minutes, park, out, it's 40 not minutes outside the city. Yeah, but a lovely area. They're having to pay maybe $2,000 a week rent. Who can pay that? Absolutely. If you want to, if you want to then buy a property, you can 
ruin your investment. Yeah, so there's nothing I've seen in any of the policies yet that are around how do you assist people who are in the rental market, how do you assist people who are in, you know, in low-income er- um, earning brackets to be able to survive. We have, we talked last week, we have pressure on builders and building companies that have been going bust. We're now looking at the return of uh, tourism and foreign tourism, which is so important for us, our hospitality industry, but it's going to put extra pressure on rentals or on Airbnb short-term rentals because those people are going to want to stay somewhere. So it's going to be, I don't know, it's, it's an interesting property market and yet we haven't seen it headline the election. Mark, you're going back to the election. And I know this, I want to go a little bit off property. Now, Anthony Albanese, the head of the Labor Party, he um, got he tripped up on a few very key questions, which had a rough start. Well, he had a rough start. And, and then there's talk that his popularity has crashed. It will be interesting to see that the trip will be made about, uh, about unemployment mm-hmm. and about the GDP. What no, it was uh, CPI, I think, wasn't it? Inflation. I don't know. Obviously, mm-hmm. I don't know because it was not my job to know. But the trip up to make it be interesting to see how that impacts coming onto the election. So people have lost confidence in him, but it's a long race. But the you know, most recent like, figures show that it has actually impacted him and, surprisingly, Morrison and, and their coalition has had a bit of a bump in popularity, which no one saw coming. Do you know one thing, though? One thing that I hear that I hear um, from... Uh, Bill Shorten, who we used to be the ex-leader because he's on the Today Show, so I've heard him on Today Show. Very political today. Sorry? I'm surprised. Political. I'm very, well, I'm not being political. I'm just, sort of, I'm just doing commentary on it. I'm more into the gospel of it all. Um, Bill Shorten, I heard him talking this morning about Mr Morrison, as he calls him, as opposed to ScoMo or, or Prime Minister or Scott Morrison, yeah. talking about the debacle that he's created with, you know, there was the bushfires first, followed oh, yes. by his handling of COVID and saying that it wasn't vaccinations weren't a race and blah, mm. blah, blah, and, mm. the, and the mess that we're in now and the, and the debt that the country's in. I don't care about who was in government during what we've been through with the bushfires and, mm. the, and the, the floods and the COVID world Crisis. I don't care who was in about that part. It was, it was tough. tough. And whether whether we liberal or labor or somewhere in between, quite frankly, as far as I'm concerned, don't judge anyone over how that was all handled. Like every state premier handled it differently, and every one of them got probably in the public eye got more wrong than they did right. Mm. But seriously, like these recent storms, our roof doesn't normally leak. We've got frigging leaks everywhere with these storms. Mm -hmm. So is that to blame on federal or state government or is Devane or to blame on just natural natural causes? Natural shit going on. But I think the question that's being raised is the response to that. How do you respond to it? Having said that, I'm just so glad that we had Gladys. I like Gladys. Gladys somehow is, we've lost and missed Gladys, but she was just a saviour. I wish she was around now. And and that's taking it, well, it's not taking a political position. It's just that it was more about the person. She, and I'm sure we're going to piss people off by talking about this. What I liked about her as a person was Mm -hmm. she wasn't doing things that made her popular. She was actually doing what she believed in. And I do continually notice politicians from all sides so often i can't help but feel they're doing and saying what 
they think will win them votes and what people want to hear mm. as opposed to what they think will be the best for the nation. And I and that's one thing with Gladie I feel, and I might be wrong, maybe I had a soft spot for her, yeah. had a bit of a crush and I thought she was pretty cool. I think we've been seeing the electorate respond to that kind of approach for many years now because we've had a number of minority governments of so close we don't we haven't had clear majority governments particularly at federal level for some time and the independents who can really easily argue one or two issues rather than the broad spectrum of issues they are getting more and more sway um and i recall a minority government i think the gillard minority government they ended up the, the that government spent millions of dollars in independent electorates up yes. north to for get pay, them for payback. Well, you might say payback. So, uh, I think that we as people are getting more savvy about that issue, Mitch, that you raised. That people are just doing platitudes to get you on board, and so at the um, polls, I think Australian people are, with our cynicism, saying, "Hang on a second, we're not just going down party lines now. We are going to mix it up." But you know. I don't know, the consequence of mixing it up is do you end up with these debacle kind of debates in Parliament? Oh, I, I don't know. I'm just curious to see how do the next few weeks roll out and what does that mean? You know, where about properties and renovation? What is that going to mean for people who currently have bought off the plan and are in a hiatus because businesses have gone bust? What does it mean for people who are building and renovating themselves and the cost of materials is skyrocketing? What does it mean for people who are renting and want to get out of the rental cycle but, one, can't save enough money to deposit and, two, are paying enormous rents and um, are just getting by? So how does the government support and protect its people in a basic one of the basics, which is housing. But we do have a number of weeks now to roll out. It's going to be what, the 21st of May. So hold on to your hats. Many things can happen in the next few weeks. And we're going to be keeping an eagle eye out to see what's going to be happening with interest rates. But what's going to happen in terms of housing policies that will roll on and affect you and us as, as we go into 2022, 23 and beyond. Outside the political um, stuff and my political gossip that's mm-hmm. going on, this week we've also been sort of focusing on whether or not the portrait that we sat for <laughs> will make it into the Archibald. Now, the artist who painted us, her name is Carolyn Zelinsky. Carolyn had said to us she she feels so nervous that her artwork won't get in um, and she would feel so bad for us and our view was your artwork and her art in general is insanely fabulous and it was a privilege for us to not only sit for her 
But to, to see this work unfold, we love what she's created. Um, it's it's not a flattering, it's sort of semi-realism. Uh, no, it's not realism. It's, um, well, she's, she's a very well-regarded um, artist. She actually won the Porsche Gage Memorial Award, Portrait Award in 2020. So her artworks are quite striking. So my view of if this artwork doesn't get in, it's not because of her, it's because it's of us, us. <laughs> us as a subject. That you know, She may have stuffed up with the subject because maybe reality TV, whether we like it or not, Mike, that's what we sprung from. So maybe well, that we got be. to see the portrait before it went in. And if anyone's following us on our Instagram, you can have a look on our Instagram um, at Mitch and Mark, and there are a couple of shots of it whilst it's being painted and of uh, her drawing us in our store. When you look at a portrait, you often want it to make you look a lot better than you you look. Um, Carolyn is very good at just encapsulating who you are, but it's fairly harsh realism. It's harsh realism, but it actually it, it captures the essence of us. Like I looked at the painting and I thought immediately, like it or not, that's us. Yeah. It, they, she did capture us, she even, did. even to the stage Mark, you know, something that I talk about on on your pinky finger. Fingers. Your pinky finger. You have a little bit of arthritis in your pinky finger, yeah. and nobody ever sees it. Nobody notices it. Helen she noticed it. Captured that because the mm. pinky finger is probably the most realistic. It is. What is fascinating at the artwork, and if you do get a chance to have a look on our Instagram, please please go and have a look because I love that Carolyn is interested in patterns. And there's a lot of detail in this art. She's used a lot of pattern. And colour. And colour. So another interesting thing for us is how do you use art in your interior and how do you use art in your interior design? Because art is a very strong statement and there are pieces that are quite bland you can find in a whole lot of homeware places and then there are pieces that are striking. Well, because art in a, in a space, it, you want it to be you want it to be part of the space. You want it to add to the space. But you've also got to be careful with some spectacular art. It can actually own the space, and the space can be all about the art. Mm-hmm. And if you're not an art gallery, mm-hmm. you don't want your home to have an art, a piece of art on the wall that owns the space and everything else fades away. It, has to, it does have to be considered as part of the decor. But anyway, back to Carolyn's entry of her portrait of us uh, we will find out in the next few weeks. So the Archibald Prize, um, that gets announced. The finalists in the Archibald Prize get announced, I think, around the 12th of May. Uh, so at that point, we will find out whether or not the portrait she painted of us, and it's not about us, it's about her as an artist, about whether Carolyn's work uh, makes it into the final. If it does, I think we're probably the only reality TV people to ever have a portrait that gets into into a final, which would so be bizarre. We'll fill you in on the goss. Um, when we know particularly if we're overexcited about it. But speaking of gossip... Well, hang on, segue with that is... What? Not many, many people probably know, but Julian Kress, the executive producer of The Block, he created The Block. His father is yes. an award-winning artist and his father won the Archibald Prize. I think it was in 1988 for portraiture. How do you know that stuff? So I think what a fascinating connection. How do you know that? I just Googled it. No. Um, it's a great connection to think if we were lucky enough... One, we're honoured to be painted for the Archibald Prize. If it was lucky enough to make it into the final, there is another connection with the block there. Well, and that was going to be my next little bit of goss. Linking in Julian Crest, executive producer of the block, his father won the Archibald Prize in 1988. Coincidence or coincidence not, 
I want to talk about the block because the block has started. They started filming over a week ago. So, so great. So they've had their first week of filming and hold the bloody phone for the first time in the block history, a couple on the block. We heard through the grapevine, but now it's out there in the press, there's a couple that have actually, after one week, I think it was three days. Off. Sorry? Three days. Three days. Mm-hmm. There's it, other issues. The couple, he's an ex-footballer. He's an ex-footballer. Elle is an influencer. A, she's an influencer with 600,000 followers or something. Yeah, I think it, it was a bit of a controversial um pick from looking at the block instagram and social media um i don't know what other our listeners think but there are many comments that were around is this an average couple or is it a high-flying influence couple that's on so i think there was a little bit of controversy about um there's not a question about the market she's got six hundred thousand followers she's an influencer yeah so yeah and i believe there's a few people out there with profiles so i don't don't know how that affects people who are entering um, who, who enter in good faith and they've got a chance to go on. But this is not what it's about. They have three days on the block and they're off. Apparently the general, what are their names, this couple? I can't remember. Elle and Joel, I think. Um, Joel's, Joel's mother um, had, had some fall. sort of a yeah. fall and um, is in a really bad way. Yeah. Um, so look, so um, a hard decision, obviously, for them to make. Yeah, and, and I'm sorry, I'm not treating trivial at the... The fact that uh, Joel's mother's in a bad way, I really do send you best wishes and I hope that um, everything works out there. You know, I think from us having been through so many experiences on the block, good, bad and, and amazing, our thoughts go out to Ellen Joel because it's a big decision. Once you get through the process and you get on the block and you walk onto the block, to actually leave it is tough. Yeah. Having said that, you know, maybe things work in mysterious ways and a new couple has already arrived on the block and are already building and the couple that has come in in place of Elle and Joel. So that couple that came in their place, they must have had like a day or two oh, they would have been, I bet they would have got a phone call. Oh, How yeah. excited would they have been to get a call to go? I know, but you're your life is turned upside down. Bang, just like that. So you hit, hit that click, click, listen, listen. Click, click, bang. As much as a little bit of incentive for that new couple, we don't know their names, we'll be trying to find it out. There was only one other time on the block, the manly season of the block way back, where a couple did leave. Mm-hmm. I think it was maybe a bit longer than that, maybe a week week or two. They left. A new couple came in to replace them, and that couple ended up winning the Who block. Who was that? Andrew Rochford, who's known now on TV, and his, his partner, I think it's his wife at the time, they replaced this couple. They came onto the block. They did the apartment and they won the block. Oh, wow. So maybe it's an omen for this new couple that's coming and replacing Ellen Joel. Maybe mm-hmm. they'll win the block. We're going to be watching out for that. Well, Mark, that is it for our season one. 25 episodes completed. And i got to say, Marky, it was loads of fun. It's It's been fascinating to talk to so many people some people we knew some people we now know better so the time with colin fasnich and his wife jane highland which was full of hilarity my jules and cam and and cam shared that intimate moment when his life was really in a bad place yeah some some really interesting stuff shelly horton and how her early days influenced what she does now and how she's so so positive about you know women's image and and positive images for Shelley actually said to me after our um, chat with her that she had to take a long walk on the beach to think about what she talked about. Damon Cooley, the legendary auctioneer. Yeah, Julian Cress was the first episode right after The Block and he had some insights on The Block. So I'll be fascinated to catch up with him again. 
later in the year as the block goes to air. Emily Seaborn. Yeah. Emily Seaborn. Gold medal winning athlete. Incredible woman. So we're going to take a few weeks off between season one and season two. We'll be back with you from the 1st of June with a whole bunch of new people. We might drop by in the meantime if the Archibald uh, entry does well and gets in. Also, um, living, living next door, next door, to, door Alice, to Alice. Alice Stoltz from Domain. If we have any updates particularly related to... We are going to be talking to her through this process of the election because she's got a lot of information about what's happening in the property market. And I know you're all keen to hear about that. But outside of that, we'll definitely be back June one post-election the new world and whatever happens during that process seriously guys we'll all survive thank you so much for joining us for season one of reality Renault with mitch and mark in that four weeks we'll probably pop a few of our old episodes up with a little bit of a retake on them so keep listening people it's been a pleasure and thank you for indulging us um, and allowing us to share bye for now bye Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.